And uh, we've been studying the book of Acts, living in victory no matter what. No matter what we're facing, living in victory no matter what, through faith in Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And today the title is, Do We Choose God or Does God Choose Us? Woo, we're going to have some interesting conversations on this one. Uh, Acts 13, 40 to 52. And we've been seeing as we've been going in the book, uh, Acts 13, that the Holy Spirit led the church in Antioch to send out a mission team, Paul and Barnabas and their team, on the first mission trip in the book of Acts. And what a trip it has been. It's going to get even crazier, as we'll see today and as we go on. going to get even crazier. NHCC, New Hope Community Church, has also sent out a mission team this week, in fact. Uh, Brian, come on up here. Uh, we, we've sent out a missionary on a very challenging trip. A lot of you aren't aware of that, but Brian, who is uh, our pastor of everything, I call him our pastor of everything, whatever needs doing, he does it, but his real heart is missions, and he's got us connected with, with uh, Peru, and so I'm going to let him take it from here and share a little bit, and then we'll finish up with Acts 13, okay? So good morning. Um, it's a good connection with what's going on here at our church because um, God has chosen us to be part of this uh, ministry in Peru. Um, They have ministry going on. It's like other ministries that we've been involved in around the world. Ministries are happening and going on, and we have the privilege of being a part of it. So this is our pastor friend, Wadoro, a proving pastor. Um, He recently took two trips um, I'll show you the pictures. Hang on, Heather. All right, I'll, I'll show you. Um, this is the first trip that he took into the Amazon jungle. Uh, he took five different vehicles, um, five cars, a pickup truck, and a boat, and, and then a motorcycle to get to the church where he was going to deliver Bibles. We have uh, donated for the second time uh, a whole lot of Bibles for these pastors in Peru. And um, so... He got to this location late in the afternoon. It was a Sunday. Um, They were expecting him Sunday night, and he got there about 3 o'clock, and everybody had already sent out their boats. Um, They usually can accommodate about 10 people in a boat. Well, he got there late, and so he rented. Because we had given him some money for the trip and for the Bibles and to cover all his expenses, um, he was able to rent this boat, and it took three hours to get upriver. And... um, and you can move on to the video. We have a video of him in this boat going upriver. So this is a journey. It took him 22 hours um, to get from his home up to the church in the upper Amazon region of Peru. It's border of Ecuador. Ecuador and Peru is where he went. So Wadoro is a pastor. Of, he has a church in Picota. Um, he's also a radio um, pr- producer and promoter. He has his own radio station. Um, he does a lot of training. He's been uh, trained by the International Leadership Institute in Peru. And so he is well qualified to go out into these areas and to train pastors. And this is something that we can be a part of. Um, next slide. So this this is him going to the church. We're not going to run this too long because it makes me dizzy uh, looking at it. But these are the motorcycles 
essentially there's a bench seat on the back of a motorcycle, and that's how they get around. They don't have a lot of cars. Okay, next slide. <laughs> okay, so now we're at the church, and um, this is the pastor, um, Mikayo, Pastor Mikayo, and there was about 30 um, pastors there waiting for um, the li- delivery of all these Bibles, plus the church, the church congregation. So Wildoto had a service where he preached, and then he handed out the Bibles. Um, the service ended with a song. I want to play a song that they sang in Awayun. That's their native language. He said, this is from Wildoto, I was crying silently in my heart out of, my, out of emotion because I don't feel worthy to bring these godly servants the word of God nor give them each a Bible. In reality, it was very moving. So each one of the men there are they're either lay workers, pastors, missionaries, teachers in a number of different villages. There's upwards of 40 to 50 villages that are beyond where he got to. So very remote, only accessible by water. Um, Wildola says, God has his people at the ends of the world. Even though they are forgotten by the government, God is seeking them out, loving them, and providing Bibles for them through his children, families, and church in the USA. He sends his greetings. He's grateful to to the church here in the USA. And um, he just came back. So that's, that's down in the jungle. Yesterday, he just came back from his second visit, which is up in Juliaca, which is, um, if you ever heard of Lake Titicaca, up in the northern regions of Peru, it's the highest navigable lake in the world. Um, He was at an elevation of 4,300 meters, which is about 12,000 feet. Um, And he sent me an email this morning, and I didn't get a chance to to translate it, so I'm just going to read it off. From from here, um, he said we we seguimos adelante, mi hermano Brian. So we're going ahead, my brother Brian and my brethren in the church in the USA. We go ahead. We're working together. Juntos somos un gran equipo para la gloria de, de su nombre. So we are working as a team together for the glory of God. And we have the privilege of working together for the world to advance his glorious gospel. John 3.16. He quotes John 3.16. Thank you so much for doing what you've done and being a part of the work here. Thank you. So, 22 hours, we'll be taking a mission trip soon. Uh, who wants to ride the motorcycles and the boats? Brian, we're going we're gonna to plan some stuff, so uh, get, get ready. But, wow, what an open door, huh? Such an open door. And pa- pastors getting study Bibles that don't have anything, and uh, folks getting Bibles that don't have Bibles. It's hard for us to even imagine that, isn't it? But uh, it's just so exciting for this open door. And we're reaching areas that are, these are unreached areas. So uh, these tribes are, you've been following the story. And Brian's from, you grew up right in that? A few hours away. A few hours away, yeah. So that's exciting. Very, very exciting. So, all right. So thank you, Brian. Let's remember to be praying for these guys. And uh, let's see what's happening on our mission trip in Acts 13. So let me pray first. Father, thank you for what's happening in Peru and all over the world. 
And we thank you for the word that is getting out to these folks and the, the training that's getting out to these pastors. And pray that you would use us even more and more to, to impact, Lord. And we could just see so much fruit from these, this trip. And, Lord, now we ask you that you would teach us from the first mission trip in the book of Acts. Continue to equip us and, and help us to um, take the steps of faith forward that we need to take. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's uh, pick it up here, Acts 13. We're going to finish 13 today, and I'll start with verse 38, uh, just to put it in the context. Uh, let's see here. Here we are. Uh, Paul preaching, Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you cannot be justified from by the law of Moses. And that's what we finished up with last week. And then he says, Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your day that you would never believe, even if someone told you. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. Then... Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region, but the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So here we go. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, a good ending to chapter 13, verses 44 and 45 I want to talk about first. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. So we see here a pattern that we're going to see all throughout the book of Acts. Uh, Gentile converts and jealous Jews. Just remember that. Gentile converts and jealous Jews. And when we say Jews, we're not talking about all the, all the, all the Jewish people. You see there are many Jewish converts. Uh, many Jews did believe. And don't forget, Paul and Barnabas were Jews, right? They're Jewish. So we're not talking, when they use this term, he's talking about these, the religious leaders, the religious leaders who, who have rejected Jesus, and that's who's stirring up the people against them, okay? But we see a spirit-led pattern here that we're going to see all throughout the book of Acts. They go to the, the Jews first. They uh, reach the, the godly Jews that turn to Jesus, but then the ungodly Jews turn against them, especially when they see Gentile converts, and they get jealous, and the persecution, and then they get bumped along the path to the next place. That's kind of like the, 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 the pattern uh, 
Gentile converts and jealous Jews, and then positive persecution. That kind of all works together. And look what he says in verse 46 here. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first, since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. We now turn to the Gentiles. To the Gentiles. Um... I'll read verse 47 also. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I've made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That's right from Isaiah 49, 6. Okay? And so they preach first to the Jews. When they reject it, when the Jewish leaders reject it, they go to the Gentiles. And this is what Paul is talking about, way, uh, what he talks about in Romans 1.16. In Romans 1.16 where he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation uh, for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jews, then for the Gentiles. Salvation was sent first for the Jews and then to the Gentiles. Jesus did the same thing, remember? Jesus was sent to the Jews first. He presented himself to the Jews first. And it wasn't until they rejected him, the Jewish religious leaders, that he said, I'm going to be going, now the gospel's going to go to the Gentiles also. But he went first. Remember in Mark chapter 7, some of you remember when we preached through the book of Mark years ago, when, when uh, Mark, in Mark 7, the woman comes to Jesus begging to have her, his da- her daughter have Jesus cast the demon out. And Jesus said, mm, no, I'm here, for the Ju- I'm here for the Jews, you know? He goes, uh, you know, it's, it's, it wouldn't be right to take the children's bread, remember? Take the children's bread and feed it to the dogs. He says this to this Gentile woman. And remember what she said? Even the dogs get some crumbs. I call that crumb faith, crummy faith. You just need crummy faith, just some crumb faith. And, and then Jesus said, wow. Go on home. Your daughter's healed. But it had to go first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. We see that very thing there in, in, in Romans, we see it in Acts, we saw it with Jesus. And Paul then starts to preach to the Gentiles, and the preaching of the gospel and the Gentiles embracing it made the Jews jealous. It made them jealous, which also fulfilled prophecy. This very thing also, be, right here in Acts, is fulfilling prophecy in Romans chapter 10, verse 19, where it says, Again, did I did uh, again? I ask Paul, writing here, speaking here. Again, I asked, did Israel not understand? First, Moses said, "I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by the, by a nation that has no understanding." And then in chapter eleven, verses thirteen and fourteen, where he says, "I am talking to you Gentiles, insomuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I make much of my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people." to envy and save some of them. That was the goal of the gospel, was to make the Jews jealous and bring them to Jesus. That's still our job today. We're to make the, our Jewish friends jealous. We're to, we're to try to make them want what we have, what we have. We're to draw them to Christ because they see that, that we have the Messiah, that we have faith in the one true God, that we, that we are completed 
that were completed through Jesus Christ. And we're supposed to make them want what we have. But in the book of Acts, the Jews' jealousy was destructive to them to them spiritually. It was destructive to their spiritual well-being. And that's what we see here. It, it started out that way, but as, as we get closer to the time of Christ, more and more Jews are turning to Jesus Christ, more and more. In fact, I was reading a quote by a rabbi who said there's been more uh, Jewish converts to Christianity in the last hundred years than there were the first 19th century since Jesus. It, it's been a real movement. And that's how we know that the time of Christ is getting closer and closer because that's one of the signs of the return of Jesus Christ. And then in the end, the, the remnant that's left, we just studied that in Revelation uh, with, in our home fellowship last week, that the entire remnant is going to turn to Jesus when he comes again. But, but that's still our job today. We're, we're, uh, to, we want, we're to make them jealous, to bring them to Christ. But the Jews' jealousy here in Acts is destructive. Jealousy makes us do crazy things, doesn't it? Look at, think of all the destructive things we've seen in our own life through jealousy. I've, we've seen families break apart through jealousy. The reading of the will, right? Wait, I think got that. I didn't get that. You know, how many families are destroyed? Even when everybody gets a lot, it doesn't matter. It, it, it's unbelievable that jealousy makes us do these crazy things. We lose family. We lose friends through that. We see people murder each other. You know, people murder someone over jealousy, usually over a love triangle of some kind, right? Uh, even animals get jealous. If you have dogs, you know what I'm talking about? You pet one dog, what does the other dog do? Wants to be petted. You feed one a treat, what does the other one do? Wants to treat, you know. They get jealous, they fight. Cats do the same thing, fighting for attention. Uh, even on the farm, even, even uh, horses get jealous. Uh, uh, Kim and I, I didn't bring the video, but I have a video of, of Kim and I. We used to ride horses on the farm a lot when we were first dating, get married and stuff. And, and she had one horse and I had an, another horse. And my horse, I can't remember his name, but he, because uh, they got rid of him but he was very jealous of the other horses i'll never forget i say kim come on we're gonna go riding horses on the farm it's gonna be so much fun it's fun and she likes loves horses so we're riding and i'll never forget my horse saw her horse coming got mad and kicked and and kicked kicked back and missed the horse and kicked kim on the leg hit her hard on the leg you know she had this big bruise she's like ah! you know you know because he was jealous that this other horse was coming along. Didn't want the other horse around. It, and even animals, but it's it's destructive. It, jealousy is destructive. And for the Jews, it was spiritually destructive. And most of the Jews rejected the gospel here in Acts. Not all. Not all. There was there was a good number that did put their faith in Christ. And 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 uh, and then and today, there's still a remnant. There is still a remnant. In fact, in Romans 11.5, Paul says this. He says, So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Talking about the Jewish people. There's a remnant chosen by grace. In the book of Acts, we see that remnant even now. There's a good number of people here who are Jewish who put their faith in Christ in our, in our church. Uh, but, but also, there's going to be that remnant in the book of Revelation. The ones who are left. The ones who survived the Antichrist. The ones who survived you know, the, all the judgments, the craziness in the book of Revelation in the end. And so all Israel will be saved. When you see that in uh, Romans, uh, I got a mental block, Romans 11, I think. And so all Israel, 1126, I got it. Uh, 1126, and so all Israel will be saved. That remnant is, they're talking about what they're talking, I'm going to make sure I got the right verse here. Hold on. Uh, uh, Romans 11, I'm going by memory, which is not a good idea. 
no, oh, anyway, it's an, it's an 11. I got, it, I got the right chapter. And so all Israel will be saved. Talking about when Jesus comes again, the remnant that's left, they will see, look upon the one whom they have pierced and mourn for them as one mourns for an only son. They'll, when it says all Israel will be saved, it's not talking about every Jewish person is going to be saved. It's going to, talking about the remnant that's still alive when Jesus comes again will all see him and put their faith in him. That's the remnant. That's the all Israel. So there, there is a, was a remnant in Acts. There's a remnant today, and there's going to be a remnant left when Jesus comes again that are all going to turn to Jesus Christ. Uh, so, so most of the Jews, though, have rejected Jesus. Uh, their Messiah, which was prophesied over and over again. It's all over the scriptures. They're prophesied. And the, they will look upon the one whom they have pierced, Zechariah, the one whom they have pierced and mourn for him. They're going to reckon, realize that they, that was the Messiah that they rejected. They're going to mourn for one. It was one mourns for an only son. But, um, but although the major, majority of the Jews here in Acts are rejecting Jesus, most of the Gentiles are turning to him at the same time. It's all God's plan. Many of the Gentiles are accepting the gospel at that same time. Interesting how God's plan works out here. But we see in verse 48, we see in verse uh, Acts 13, verse 48, where it says, When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Now, this, is a, this brings us to one of the trickiest questions in all of the Bible, which we'll solve in the next five minutes. Uh, <laughs> people have been fighting for, about this for centuries, but I've got the answers. So, uh, now listen. All who were appointed for eternal life believed. Does this mean God picked them for salvation? Yes. Okay, good. Let's move on now. Okay, yes. (laughs) This is commonly called predestination or election. This is what this is called, predestination or election. It's taught all over the scriptures. (laughs) Shocker, right? Uh, Jesus himself taught this john in john chapter 6 verse 44 he says no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and i will raise him up them up at the last day no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them and then just a few verses later though he says i tell you the truth he who believes has everlasting life you see the connection God chooses, but we have to believe. Just like back in Acts 13, same thing. All who are appointed for eternal life believe. We, we, we see there again God's sovereignty and our need to put our faith in Jesus Christ are taught side by side. Tricky, isn't it? One of the, it's it's the, the greatest mystery in the Bible is this very thing that God's sovereignty and human responsibility are taught side by side. It's a mystery. They're both taught. Human responsibility and God's sovereignty. It reminds me of Einstein's hypothesis. Some of you may remember this. Remember, I don't know if you've ever seen his, I don't even know if it's still out there anymore, but I remember they're saying, Einstein said two parallel lines, two parallel lines cross in eternity. How? 
I know, but that was his, that was his hypothesis, uh, and nobody argues with Einstein, right? Uh, somehow they cross an eternity, and that's what I think we see here, the same thing. We see God's sovereignty and human responsibility connecting in eternity. It's going to make sense in heaven. Uh, one possible solution is, and if you really want the answers to this, talk to Mikey's here. Michael's here. Michael will give you the answer to this. He's, he's uh, studied this intently. He's got about 85 books up there on this. All right. Uh, but and he's going to roast me for my explanations here today, I'm sure. But in Romans 8, Romans 8, and I'm just touching the tip of, just scratching the surface on this. But in Romans 8, 28 through 30, gives a possible solution. Uh, Verse 28, we all know this one, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We love that one, right? Do it all the time. What a great promise. But this is really in context with predestination. Here we go. Verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Hmm, interesting. You didn't know? I bet most of you didn't know verse 28 was connected to predestination. But you see here, though, the possible solution that people have when they try to wrestle with this, because it's hard. It's hard. This is a tough one, right? When they, I hear my boys arguing at the table sometimes. Kim just goes up to bed. But they're all arguing about this. And, uh, and, uh, and maybe... The foreknowledge, the foreknew. Maybe God knew ahead of time who would believe, and then he predestined them. That's, that's a common try to understand this thing, right? So, but, uh, but it's also possible that the foreknowing is the choosing, Right, so that's something everybody <laughs> argues about. Uh, Whitfield and Wesley argued about it, you know, in the Great Awakening. It almost destroyed the Great Awakening, but Whitfield just dropped it, which saved it. Uh, uh, and th- that's the question: Did does does God know ahead of time who's going to become a Christian? Then He predestines them, or does He just foreknow them in the sense that He's choosing them? Okay. Um, the weight of Scripture is pretty heavy. The weight of the Scripture is pretty heavy, but it's a hard thing, right? It is a hard thing. It's hard. It's a hard teaching. It's a very, very hard teaching. The bottom line is, and this is something we can all agree on, is we cannot come to God without the Holy Spirit's help, right? That's something everybody, whether you're Arminian or a Calvinist, whether you believe in predestination or complete free will, whatever you believe, we all agree on that, that we can't, Come to God without the Holy Spirit drawing us. And we all agree that we must believe in Jesus. We must put our faith in Jesus Christ to be saved. You see how we, we do have the, whatever you come from, we do have that agreement, all right? So that's why we don't want to fight too much about it, all right? Uh, there's been wars over this. But Acts thirteen forty eight, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Believed, And some Jews here in Acts will do just that. Many Jews, actually, but not the majority, but many. And many, many Gentiles will do just that. But not all. Because we look at the, the next couple of verses here, and look what happens. 
the jealous Jews got together with some influential Gentiles and made trouble for Paul and Barnabas. Verse 49, the word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region, but the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. Those are Gentiles they're inciting. All right. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the region. So they shook the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Once again, where do we get that dust shaking off our feet from? Jesus said to do that. Now, it's not to all the believers there, but to the religious, the leaders there that rejected him, they're the ones that were going to be judged, not the, the people who put their faith in Christ. It wasn't the whole city. It wasn't the remnant. It wasn't the believing Gentiles. There were many, many converts. He was talking about the leaders of that city that God would judge them, that if you reject God, and we started that. We started that. Verse 40, look at verse 40. Uh, verse 40. Um, sorry, we don't have that on there, but I'm just going to read it. We started with this. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. So he's warning them against rejecting, and then they get the dust off their feet against them. Exactly. The question is, for every one of us, what will we do? What will we do with the gospel? I know most of you have put your faith in Christ, but I want to say this to everyone. What, what decision will we make? Will we believe or resist the gospel? That's a, the decision that everyone has to make, is either we believe the gospel or we resist it. And, and it, it, it reminded me, I was reading a, a, a wild story about a soldier. I believe he just passed away, and that's why they wrote the story. But it says here, Japanese World War II soldier who refused to surrender for 27 years. Anybody read that story this week? It kind of hit the news. Unable to bear the shame of being captured as a prisoner of war. uh, uh, I'm just going to call him S.Y. Hid in the jungles, instead of wrecking his name here. Hid in the jungles of Guam until January 1972. Wouldn't surrender. I'm going to connect the dots here in just a minute. Following the American forces seizure of the island in 1944, 5,000 Japanese soldiers refused to surrender, preferring life on the run to the shame of being detained as prisoners of war. The Allies ended up capturing or killing the majority of these within a few months, yet some 130 remained in hiding by the end of the war. Let's see. Uh, oh, uh, from the only one left on Guam at this time by 1972 was this one guy, Y.S., who I mentioned. Some fishermen were able to overpower him and bring him in and, and, and bring him in. And uh, because he was so weak by this time, he was so old and weak that he couldn't resist anymore. Um, he was, they were living in caves. He was living in caves or makeshift underground. They showed the shelters he was living in. He was l- surviving on coconuts. That's all he had to eat by then. Oh, oh, he also had papaya, shrimp, frogs, toads, eels, rats. It was wonderful. Uh, made clothing out of tree bark. That's what he had made it out of. He would connect with some of the stragglers, but they died in the last eight years. He was the only one left on the island. 
he found leaflets and newspapers detailing the conflicts and two decades earlier, but he thought it was American propaganda. He would not surrender. He would, he just, he would not surrender. He kept resisting to the very end. And then after his return to Japan, two years later, another one was found in the Philippines, uh, Hiru Onada in the Philippines, after 29 years in hiding, he refused to leave until his commander showed up and, and convinced him that he was relieved of duty. But I was reading this and I was thinking, isn't that tragic to waste his life eating rats in the jungle? You know, the coconuts are okay, but the rats, you know, and the frogs, and, and it not, not surrounding. I mean, it, what a waste of his life. Because he could have gone home and lived in freedom and, 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 and all that. But so many of us do the same thing spiritually, don't we? We do the same thing. We won't surrender to God. And because we think that, that Jesus, uh, just like the, the Japanese soldier thought that, the, the, that the, the Americans winning was this terrible, terrible thing. But it was really for his good. If he had just gone home, he would have seen that J- Japan ended up flourishing, ended up passing us economically for a while, uh, right? But, but that's what, what we don't see the same thing. Jesus' victory was really for our good, but our flesh fights it, right? And our sinful flesh fights it. We, we don't, we, we, it was really for our good because Satan was defeated. The world was defeated. Sin was defeated. Our flesh is defeated. But, but we, we, we fight it because it's painful. Short term, it does hurt, doesn't it? It hurts when we first become a Christian because we have to let the flesh die and the things that we thought were fun and things that we thought were good, but they're really killing us. They're really eating. We're just eating frogs and snakes. And, you know, I mean, you know, it's disgusting, really, what we were doing. But, but it hurts at first but because the flesh might, must die. But in the long run, what do we have? A better life here and life forever with God someday. But we, we don't want to surrender. So we, we hide. Just like the Japanese soldier was hiding in shame, we hide in our shame. We won't surrender the lies that we're hanging on to. We resist God's invitations to come and live free because we see it as, as a, a, our flesh got to die. We're going to we're gonna have to lose something here. But when, and as a result of that same thing that the soldier's done, so many times spiritually we waste years or we waste our whole life. And some people waste their eternity because they, are, they, they hang on to that shame. They won't come to Jesus Christ. And that's, that's so many. Will, if you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ, will you do that? Will you surrender? Will you surrender? Will you surrender to Jesus Christ? Will you surrender your sin to him? Will you believe in Jesus? John 3.16 talks about that very thing. And I know some folks in our church and watching have not made that final decision yet, but I pray that you will. You will surrender. Like that Japanese soldier who finally surrendered and found a better life, that you'll surrender and put your faith in Jesus. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You're not losing anything. You're gaining something. You're losing sin. You're losing eternity separated from God, and you're gaining real life here and life forever with God the Father someday. In heaven. We're not losing a thing. Will you put your faith in Jesus? And as Christians too, we have to surrender. When this guy came home to Japan, guess what? He didn't like it so much at first. 
He didn't like the changes. He fought against it. He, he had a hard time adjusting. Hard time adjusting. And so many times we do the same. We become a Christian. We put our faith in Jesus. But then we don't want to, we don't like the new life as much. Wait a minute. I got to give that up. I got to, this is different. Wait, I have to, what, what are you talking about? What does the Bible say? You know, right? Nobody here, but you might know some of you struggle like that, right? And, and so <clears throat> we have to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ for all of our life. And, and that, that, that takes dying to self constantly. You see, election is not, a lot of times we think, well, election predestination is just for salvation. But that's not the real goal of election. It, it, it is salvation, but the ultimate goal is our sanctification. Did you know that? That's the ultimate goal is salvation and sanctification. And, and election and predestination is for that too. In fact, in first, second, Peter, second Peter 1 verse 10, it says this. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. That's our job once we're saved is to make it sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. What things is he talking about? we got to back up. Back up to verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. God has given us power. Once we put our faith in Jesus, we have the power to, to, to live a whole brand new life. We have it. But then he talks about the, the change, what, we're, what, what will make our calling and election sure. It says, verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love for if you possess these things in increasing measure they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our lord jesus christ but if anyone does not have them he is nearsighted and blind, speaking of, nearsighted and blind, and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. And then verse 10, therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. You see, what? how do we know we're really Christians? We have to see these things in our life. This whole list should be increasing. Not arrived, not we're perfect, but there should be progress. We should see progress. That's how we know our faith is real. We see progress in, in goodness and knowledge and self-control and, and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness. We see progress. We see a changed life. That is, that is what uh, that we are predestined to be sanctified. And that, and that sanctification is proof of our election and our salvation. I, I know people, they say they're they become a Christian, they raise their hand, Billy Graham, you know, you know, they say, I became a Christian, I prayed the prayer, uh, yeah, I did that, I grew up a Christian, whatever they say, but their lives are completely anti-Christ. There is no fruit, there's none of this happening in their life. And I'll say, you know, where's the fruit? Where's the beef? You know, some of you remember the commercial. Where's the beef? You know, where's the fruit? And they're like, "Well, I, it's okay. I'm I'm a Christian. I I prayed the prayer." I'm like, and I I tell them, "I don't believe you. I don't believe you. I mean, I believe you prayed a prayer, but I don't believe you're a Christian." I I tell them, 
I said, nice, but I'm firm. You can't be. It's impossible for you to be born again, the Holy Spirit inside of you, and, and predestined, elected. It's impossible to, to, to not have any fruit, to live the life you're living. I just don't see how it's possible. There's got to be a change. No Jesus, no change. No change, no Jesus. It's got to be there. Because we are predestined. We are elected to, to be sanctified. And a lot of people are going to be shocked. They get to heaven and they say, well, I prayed the prayer, Jesus. And he's going to say, mm, you know, trap door, you know. And it, because it, 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 there has to be a change in our life. Have, do, are, we seeing, are, are we seeing the sanctification in our life? That's what proves our predestination. That's what proves our election. Are we seeing that in our life? Let's pray. How is God speaking to us? Are we seeing are we seeing our sanctification progress, progressive sanctification? Yeah, we're set apart at salvation, but are we seeing that progressive sanctification? If there's no fruit, then most likely you need to pray the true prayer of salvation, the true prayer of repentance and salvation. Are you sure you've put your faith in Jesus Christ? Are you sure you've been born again? As Jesus said, you must be born again. Are you sure? If you're not sure, then make sure of it right now. Right now. John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Make sure now. The prayer of faith. God, I want to be sure I have salvation. I want to be sure I have new life in Jesus Christ. I want to be sure I'm going to spend eternity with you. I repent of my sin. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus. Not just in the head, but I believe in my heart. I'm putting my faith, my trust, my hope in Jesus. His death on the cross for my sin. His resurrection from the dead to give me a new life. I put my faith in Jesus. I give my life to him. I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, then you're in for the shock of your life. If it's for real, you're in for the shock of your life. And there has to be a shock. There has to be a change. 
doesn't have to be dramatic overnight, but you're going to see progressive. The Holy Spirit progressively changing you, transforming you, increasing measure. And I want to encourage you to tell somebody so that we can encourage you and be excited for you and disciple you so that you do grow, you do move forward. Let somebody know. Tell me, fill out the card, tell a family member, friend, let somebody know today. ASAP. For those of us who are already Christians, are we seeing increasing measure? Are we seeing progressive sanctification? That's why we're elected. That's what we've been predestined to. We're not predestined to be the chosen frozen. We're predestined to be new creations in Christ. What in our life is the Holy Spirit been convicting us of that's holding us back? What do we need to repent of or what do we need to let God fill us with? It's not just negative, but there's a positive. What are these characteristics here in in 1 Peter? What do we need to see increasing measure? Maybe it's increasing faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. Father, I pray that we would see this in our lives increasing measure, that we would, each person here would make their calling and election sure. We would have confidence in that call on our life. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.